Hebrews 13, and we'll be looking at verses 5 and 6, really focusing on 5 this morning. Uh, We're going to be in a lot of places this morning, because there's a lot to say. The Bible has a lot to say about our topic from Hebrews 13, chapter, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let's all get there and we'll read those two verses and then we will uh, pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 5 and also 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray one more time. Father, take these words and bring life to our mortal bodies through them. Teach us your wisdom, your ways. And again, we ask that you purge any effect the world might have have had on us yesterday, last week, at any point in our lives. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness by the preaching of your word and the indwelling Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. So... If I say the word fire, what comes to your mind? Now, if we all stood up and gave our thoughts that came through our mind when I said the word fire, we'd all have different thoughts. And I would guarantee you that we could probably situate them in two different categories. Some might have a good thought when you hear the word fire. Some might have bad thoughts when you hear the word fire. If you're from our house, you have bad thoughts because dad lights the yard and the field's on fire quite often and the fire trucks come and yeah. We've been there, right? Yeah. Um, When you really sit down and think about fire, it can be considered good or bad. Um. Fire has a positive influence on us, and it could have a negative effect on us. Fire could save your life. Fire could take away your life. It's quite the thing when you think about it. Um, You think about the positives of fire, heat. Without it, I mean... We'd be, we might be all right here in Arkansas, but you know, some of you come from places a lot colder than here, and you understand the necessity of, of heat coming from fire. Cooking, man, things just taste better typically when they're hot, right? Um, and we all came, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all came here on sitting on fire this morning in our cars, right? We all had a little bit of fire coming this way in our, in our motors. So fire has had a great impact on our lives, but I'm pretty sure that each one of you could think of those three illustrations, heat, cooking, and transportation, and can tell us a story about when you got burnt 
doing one of those three things. Uh, and she might even have the scars to prove it. Uh, but my question is, what is the key to harnessing fire for the positive without getting burnt? How, what is it that lets us use the positive of fire without getting burnt? And the one, the one thing I think it is, is wisdom. Wisdom allows us to harness something potentially dangerous for our own good. Uh, I, in preparing for this morning, I looked up just some historical fires, and I'd heard of, I never heard of this one. It's called the Iroquois Theater Fire. Have y'all anybody heard of that? The, the in Chicago back in 1903. It's a horrible thing. Um, they built this beautiful theater in Chicago, uh, and it was it was just they built it to draw in the who's who and the rich, and they had been open for maybe a month, but in the time of building and in the time of putting it all the the, the building all together, there were red flags everywhere that said something's not good here. And people were even bringing it up, but there was always an excuse to not think about it or push it aside. And so wisdom went by the wayside when it came to this theater. Well, in De- I think it was December of 1903 at a matinee at a, at a, when they were doing a play. The place was supposed to hold upwards to 2,000 people. And that day, uh, one of whoever was uh, head of it, remembered looking out that day and saying, remembering that there were more moms and children there than he had ever seen because of the type of play that they were having. So the play went on, and then before you know it, a fire had started. And because of some things that they had done in foolishness, they were unable to put it out. The other, their, their, their secondary uh, actions weren't working because of other foolishness that weren't able to put it out. And at the end of the day, 600 people died in that fire. And think about it. It was lit for pleasure. And it was good. But in foolishness, it brought death. Now, I hope you can start to see the connection to our text this morning. Keep yourself free from the love of money. As we consider the topic of money, wealth, riches, possessions... We can understand that it's very similar to fire. Very similar to fire. We can think of many positives in our lives because of money, because of possessions. But in the same way, we can also know that we could get burnt by money, wealth, and possessions. Very much a positive and a negative. You think about the Bible... We read one this morning of a a scriptural positive about money, wealth, and possessions. God blessed Solomon with much riches and wealth. And Solomon used it to do great things for the kingdom of Israel and building a temple for the Lord. This was a great positive. You think about Jesus' burial. We just had uh, Easter Sunday. Do you know who paid for Jesus' burial? A rich man. He paid for it. Uh, the church in Acts used their wealth and possessions to assist needing brothers and sisters within the church. 
And of course, we know that Paul collected offerings as he went from church to church, uh, collecting an offering to take back to Jerusalem to the poor saints. Many positive uh, references to riches and wealth in, in stories of the Bible. But there are also plenty of negatives. The first one that came to my mind as I was getting ready to do this was the prodigal son. What led him to his state? His greed for his inheritance, right? He wanted it. He could not wait. And then what did he do with it? He wasted it away on vain pleasures. We think about the greed of Judas. We think about the cost of betrayal to Jesus, 40 pieces of silver. Then you see an axe, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, as the church uh, was selling their possessions for the sake of the needy. Ananias and Sapphira's greed caused them to lie, not only to the elders of the church, but to the Holy Spirit, as Peter would say, in regarding to the proceeds of the sale of their property. They undercut the church with the proceeds of the sale of their property. They lied about their gain. And then Paul drops the bomb on Timothy, which when you just consider this this verse and dwell on it, it's so profound. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. I mean, that just speaks so much. Uh, and then Paul tells Timothy, many have longed for it and chased it, and because of that, they have wandered off from the faith. So there's very much negative aspects of riches, wealth, and possessions. But the same question that we ask about fire, we also, about, we also ask about money, riches, and wealth. How do we handle it without getting burnt? And again, it begins with the same answer. Wisdom. Wisdom. But as we see in our passage and other places in the, in the Bible, it's more than just wisdom it's also having a contentment through satisfaction in Christ. Now this morning, we're not going to get to contentment. We're not going to get to verse 6. We're going to spend some time looking at what God has said about money, about riches. Um, but let's look at the text because I want to see, to see these two verses before we really start to talk about that. Um, verse 5. And I want to talk about the different way it's translated. So the structure of verses 5 and 6 um, looks similar to the structure of verse 4. There's an exhortation followed by a reason or an encouragement. Um, if you remember in verses 4 when we looked at uh, the, mar the marriage and the marriage bed... He tells us to keep the marriage and the marriage the marriage honored and the marriage bed undefiled, and then he gives the reason or the sort of uh, motivation for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Well, in verse five and six, he does the same pattern. He gives the exhortation and follows it up with not a warning but encouragement. He says, "Keep your life free from the love of money," and he builds on that. And says, and be content with what you have. And then there's that transition word for. So here's the reason or the motivation or the encouragement. For he has said, that meaning God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that's the pattern that we see in verses 5 and 6. 
begins with the wise counsel, a plea to keep your life, your manner of life, your version might say conversation, free from the love of money. Now, most translations are sort of straightforward in that, keep your life free from the love of money, but the 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 King James Version says it a bit different, and it was actually helpful for me, but I want to make sure you understand how it translates. The, the King James says, let your conversation be without covetousness. So conversation means, is another way of saying, as you live your life. As you live your life, keep it free from the love of money. But the King, uh, King James Version says, without covetousness. Let your conversation be without covetousness. There's a Greek word that's in this statement that's translated in the, in the King James without covetousness. It's, a, it's actually just one word. Now, I want to make some connections to some things here, so, so hang on with me. That Greek word in verse 5 that's translated without covetousness or from the love of money is a double compound word, and this is what it means. Without fondness silver. Got it? Without fondness silver. Now, the fondness word should be something that should be familiar to us. It's philos in the Greek. Look back at verse 1. Let philosdelphia continue. Let fondness of your brother continue. Verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's actually fondness towards strangers. Philos. And then in verse 4, we get implied. So Philos is fondness or love, right? In verse 4, we get reminded of our love towards our spouse, whom we've covenanted with. And we're also reminded not to have fondness towards others outside of a covenant, being sexual immorality and adultery. And then he gets to five, keep your life from or without a fondness towards silver. So very much in this chapter, you are being directed and taught how you ought to love, what you ought to love, and if it is good to love something or not. Your brother and sister in Christ? Yes. The stranger that comes needing in need? Yes. Um, your spouse? Yes. Someone that's not your spouse? No thanks. Someone that you're not coveted with in marriage? No thanks. Love of money? No thanks. So he's teaching you how to love and what to love. Um, but we've got a problem here. As Christians in our day, when it comes to money. And the problem is, is we don't really know what the Bible says about money. We just know, we've heard of the passages, don't love money, or the money, or the love of money is the root of all evil, or you can't serve God and manna, or mammon, or money. Here's what I want you to understand. The Bible says, I can't even begin to explain to you how much the Bible teaches on money. 
from the Old Testament to the New. But we as New Testament Christians who have heard sermons so much on verses like uh, keep your life free from the love of money, uh, money is the root of all evil, and you can't serve God in money, we sort of get this uh, negative association to money, wealth, and possessions. And rightly so based on those passages. But the problem also is, is that we get that sort of negative connotation towards money and wealth and possessions based on what the New Testament says, but yet we actually don't follow it anyway. So we've kind of got a little issue to work through. And this is what I want to do this morning, is I want to introduce you to what else God has said about money. If we don't know our Bibles, we don't know what God has said. There are 66 books. There are two testaments. And we can base our understanding of what God thinks about money on a few verses in the New Testament. We are going to fall very short on how we ought to live when it comes to money, riches, wealth, possessions. Uh, And you know this world runs on what? Money. Cash is king, right? you got to deal with it. And if you don't have a biblical understanding about it, you're going to get burnt. You're going to get burnt. We must not be satisfied with a partial understanding or Christian worldview about a topic. But understand that we can be fully renewed in our minds about what the, the Word of God says about money. Just like the marriage bed we talked about a few weeks ago, how we have been sort of conformed slowly as the church to the world, same goes with this topic as well. So what's God said about money? Now, I want to ask you this serious question. And just answer it in your mind, and then I'm going to follow it up with another. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do you treat every word of the Bible like it's the word of God? Do you live and study and seek like your life depends on every word that comes from the mouth of God? Now, I know for me personally, I've neglected many places. And the one place I'm going to take you today is... In the topic of wealth, riches, and possessions is a place we should live. There's a book in the Bible written by the the most wealthiest man of all time. Did you know that? Or at least we could make that argument. Now that might be a good place to know or understand or seek wisdom about money, wealth, and possessions. If a man who had the most ever wrote a book. But here's the kicker. Not only... Did this author have the most money, wealth, riches, and possessions? He also had more wisdom than anybody else in the world. So that's a winning combination. Who was it? Solomon. What did he write? Proverbs. Proverbs. So let's turn to Proverbs. As you turn there, this is just an interesting... I don't know if it's true. Can't prove it. I, I was curious of what... The, the World Wide Web thought about Solomon and his riches. And I kept seeing Solomon's net worth. <laughs> you want to know what we, they equate? A lot of people were, were throwing around this number. $2.1 trillion. And I found a list 
again, this isn't infallible. This isn't from the Word of God. But I, this is, as you're turning there, just to give you some info, I found a list of the top ten richest people of all time. Names like Ford, Vanderbilt, Carnegie, Rockefeller, you know, the names we all know. Rockefeller was number two at $660 billion, just three times behind Solomon. Think about that. Now, so let's take let's take a serious look at what. So I, I've made this a lot about Solomon, but what have we already established? Proverbs is the word of God. Okay, Proverbs is the word of God. Um, now, this this morning was supposed to be a three point sermon. And the first point had three subpoints. So the first point was going to be, what does God say about money? And then the subpoints were going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, this morning, we're only going to make it pat at the first subpoint of the first point. We're just going to look at what God says is good about money today. What, what is good about riches, wealth, and possessions. And then more than likely next week, we'll, we, won't, we won't have as much to cover We'll finish the bad. We'll look at the bad and the ugly, and then see the remedy to the bad and the ugly in contentment and Christ. So that's the plan. So the good. Start with me in Proverbs 22. And I want you to be honest with yourself as we read these and say, Did I really know that? Had I really read that before? Have I told people? That that's what the Word of God says. The good. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Pay careful, close attention. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and wealth. Now... We could try to do some cartwheels and say, now he's not talking about money or wealth when he says riches. I think he probably is. When he says riches, he's talking about riches. So you mean to tell me that there is a a reward of riches for being humble and fearing the Lord? That's a very positive statement about money in God's eyes. Because where does that reward come from? Yeah, it comes from God. Every good and gift, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, right? What a statement positive about money. One is rewarded with riches because of their humility and their fear of the Lord. We saw that play out with Solomon, didn't we? He is a prime example of that very thing. In humility and in fear of the Lord, when God gave him a blank check, he said, give me wisdom. What did he say? What was he implying? I don't have it. You do. So Solomon's very request of wanting wisdom from God was an act of humility and acknowledging his absolute fear, reverence, and awe of God. And what did God say? 
You could have asked for anything, but you asked for wisdom so that you could govern my people. Therefore, I will reward you with riches and possessions. And we read the list. I mean, wouldn't you all like to have that many uh, horses and all that stuff in there? I mean, it's just it's quite the list. All that silver and gold. So there's a couple takeaways. Number one, God does not think money, riches, possession, and wealth are evil. Now there have been some there have been some streams in Christianity where they have come to that sort of unproclaimed realization that we must deprive ourselves, we must live a life of poverty for the sake of glorifying God. Now, one might be put in a place of poverty by God to glorify God and how they live, but God never calls money evil. Therefore, you must get rid of it in order to be righteous. See what I'm saying? There's a difference. Good and evil, righteous and wicked. If money was evil and wicked, God would say you can't have it in order to be good and righteous. He never makes that. He actually does the opposite. Um, you don't have to turn there, but you can take note of it later. Proverbs 14, 24 says, The crown of the wise is their wealth. Meaning, when you see someone with a crown, that's what you look at. That's what, that's what sort of... Uh, that's sort of what gives their beauty. Well, those who are wise, who live a life of wisdom, that thing which says, ooh, to someone, is their wealth. And where did it come from? Rewarded by God. We can understand, and, and to me, to see that God rewards us when we fear Him by giving us riches, blew my mind. Because what is the fear of the Lord? And men, we, we've kind of talked about this on, on our Tuesday mornings. The godly fear the Lord. And so God has no problem rewarding the godly. It's not an absolute promise, but we know that the Lord rewards those who devote themselves to him. Now, you, you, we, can, we can come up with exceptions to the rule. We can come up with stories of people that we know. And yeah, we can. We can. But we also just have to take the word of God as he speaks and, understands that, and understand that the Lord rewards those who live humble lives fearing him. God blesses those who search, keep, and live by his wisdom. Let me say that again. God blesses those who search, keep, and live by his wisdom. And since, takeaway number two, it's God who is the rewarder of riches and wealth, this means we must guard against assumptions when we see a Christian who is more blessed than us in that area. Now, as Vody Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. <laughs> Let me say that again. If it is God who rewards with riches and wealth, 
This means we must guard against assumptions when we see a Christian who is more financially blessed than us. We can't automatically get judgmental and say, oh, a Christian with money. That's, we know how they got that. Or we, we got to go back to it and understand why would we make that judgment? Well, you might have been ignorant of what we just read. That God rewards those who are humble and fear him with riches. You might have just been biblically illiterate. But now you're not. Now you know that you can't make that mistake. Now does that mean every Christian who's wealthy did it the right way? Absolutely not. But there's also another way we could have make we could make this mistake and judge a Christian for being uh, wealthy. It's because you've already failed the exhortation of this morning's text, and you have not kept your own life free from the love of money. And you look upon those who have and point a finger because not that they have, but because you don't have. In a lot of different words. My point is, you judge because you covet their money. You have a fondness for silver. Now you see the danger of not having a biblical understanding of money? Because we're playing with fire here. And you could easily get burnt. And so let's 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 get some wisdom. Uh, let's get some wisdom with this. Because here's what I want you to understand. I'm I'm taking a risk this morning and telling you <laughs> that God rewards with riches the humble and those who fear the Lord. I'm taking a risk because truth is like fire. It can either bring out good or bad. I don't mean good or evil. I mean, as I'm telling this crowd today that the Lord rewards the humble and those who fear him with riches, some of you will be spurned to be humble and fear the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what I want. That's what God wants. But some of you in hearing this word are going to be spurned to seek more riches. And you're going to go, oh, I got humility. I'm going to think about that. If I can work this out. The truth of the word of God can either be an aroma of life or an aroma of death. And it's only by the Spirit of God in receiving the truths of the Word of God that you might be changed, sanctified, put on the right path, on the right direction. So by the truth of this text, you can either be made more holy and like Christ, or in hearing this, and you do the opposite, the truth is actually going to judge you and condemn you. For Jesus says we are sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth. But then Hebrews says your truth, the word, is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing, dividing, not for a good thing, but to lay bare your true intentions of your heart. 
And so we might, I, I pray that as we talk about the good of riches and God rewarding those who are humble and fear him, that your desire, desire is to be humble and fear him, not to gain riches. And so that's been my prayer this week as we've prepared for this and will c- continue to be. But look at verse 1 of, ver- of chapter 22 in Proverbs. Here's, here's, here's how we handle this fire. Here's the wisdom we need. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Two things here. If you seek riches, you will do the opposite of verse 4. Humility and fear of the Lord. Okay? If you seek riches, you will not be able to be humble or fear the Lord. It will not cause humility, but when you seek riches, it will cause pride. It will not increase your fear of God, but will actually increase your fear of man. It will set you on a course that will lead you astray. Now, he says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Your name, your reputation, if you choose to chase after riches and not humility and the fear of the Lord, will be one not favored and not looked well upon in society. You, you be that guy, that lady who's always looking to get an extra buck. But not only will your, ne- will your name be t- uh, tarnished within society, but you will not hear Jesus as he says in Revelation thir- 3. I will n- you, you will not hear this. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. If you chase riches, if you do not keep your life free from the love of money, Jesus will take no favor, no part in your name. None. Consider what Peter and John said speaking to the lame beggar in Acts, I think it's three or four, probably four and that beggar was asking for money. And what was Peter's reply? I have no silver or gold, but what I do I have. Gi- what I do have, I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ. We must desire that our name be a reflection of the name of Christ, for there is no other name under heaven given un- among men by which we must be saved. And we must not only is that not only the name that we must live like or. Not only that, but it is the name that which we must live out our salvation and fear and trembling. Now, there are three ways to do this. There's three ways to live in humility and the fear of the Lord, be rewarded, and not be chasing after great riches. Three things that we must be doing. Number one, we've already talked about it, seeking wisdom. Number two... Doing hard work. And number three, charity. So wisdom, hard work, and charity. Those three things are present for the humble 
and those who fear God. Now, I want to think about these three things really quickly. If you're seeking wisdom, as Solomon did, we've already, we've already made reference to this, it is the act of humility. If you're seeking wisdom in the scriptures, you're acknowledging you don't have the answers and God does. You don't know what you need to know. God can give that to you. Seeking the wisdom of the word of God is acting in fear of the Lord. Look at Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you, uh, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. But what is the reward for wisdom? Riches. can't put the cart before the horse right fear of the lord is the beginning of what knowledge what do fool what what do fools despise wisdom so the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom those who fear the lord are rewarded by god with riches the point isn't i want to do the right thing so i can be so i can get riches the point is fear the lord Fear the Lord. Be wise in the sight of God. Number two, hard work. Hard work. What an example of humility. Giving of yourself physically and mentally for the sake of earning, providing for your family, your loved ones, caring, caring for them. Quite a many, There's so many passages here. They start at Proverbs 6. Verse 10 and 11. So those who are humble and fear God, work hard. Proverbs 6, verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Oh, we like our naps, don't we? We like to hit the snooze button, don't we? But look at the result, verse 11. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. If you're seeking comfort in that bed, constantly, constantly looking for rest, not willing to work and to, and to give of yourself and to expend the energy that the Lord has given you, poverty will come upon you. That in itself is a positive statement about money. Poverty is seen as a bad thing here. Not, in, a, not in, a, in an evil thing, but as in a thing to avoid. And how do you avoid it? You work hard. You work hard. And you do that in humility and the fear of the Lord. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. Same concept here. Proverbs 10, verse 4. And here you get the, the, the direct contrast. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 
Oh, man. This is a verse for the ages, right? Especially the present age. I think that speaks for itself. Look at chapter 14, verse 20. Now this one's going to lead us to the New Testament because uh, Paul speaks of this. 14, verse 20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor. Now you think, now did God say that the, we shouldn't like the poor? No, that's not what he's saying. We're assuming here that the poor is the one who's not working hard. Why? So why, why would he be disliked by his neighbor? I need, I need... I need, right? The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich man has many friends. The humble who fear the Lord, whom God has rewarded with riches, that's the kind of person you want to hang out with. Because why? They're humble. And they fear the Lord. Not because they're rich, See, we cannot get the cart before the horse on this. Because when we do, we get it all backwards. And we just look like the world. Verse 23, I think. Yeah. Now this one. In all toil, hard work. In all toil, there is profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. We could talk about doing the right thing all day. We could make plans. We could sketch it out. We can work through it. We could have a business plan like no other. We, we could figure all the talking points out. But until you put your sweat and blood and tears into working hard, there's no gain. All right. Uh, you stay there and let me read this to you. Uh, you can go with me. First, for... Uh, 2 Thessalonians. It's quite long, so you might want to read it with me. 2 Thessalonians. And this will be the end of the hard work. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 6. Starting in verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. I don't want to steal the Dan's thunder. He's probably going to get here before too long. So we're just going to read it. Now we command you, command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in the idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. And I think Brother Dan talked uh, a couple of Sundays ago about how Paul was a tent maker and that he didn't just go from church to church mooching off people. He went to a lot of these places doing his vocation, building tents to make money so he wouldn't have to be that, I need, I need. Right? He, so he says... Uh, for you yourselves know, verse 7, how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. 
But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because you did not have that right. It was not because we do not have that right. For Paul, as apostle, a minister of the God, deserves his his pay. That's but he wanted to give them an example, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If here, listen closely. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies, meaning they talk, 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 talk. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter... Take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Why? Because they want because they want to they want to be away with the annoying one. No, that he may be ashamed. What brings about what what ought to bring what ought to come after being ashamed? Repentance. A shame brings about an understanding of guilt. And hopefully in seeing guilt and being and being told by their brothers and sisters in Christ, by being by being removed because of their idleness, they see the error of their way. He says, verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Hard work. It's something we must hold up. Now, I'm just going to say this one and I've got one one proverb for you. Charity. What do I mean by that? Well, when you think of charity, you think of a place or an institution who needs money from other people to do a good thing. Well, charity, we get from the word love, and that's what we need to do with our riches. Love. Be charitable. Give. Proverbs 11, verse 24 through 26. Again, this is an act of an humble, God-fearing person. Charity. Proverbs 11, 24, 25, and 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Think about that. If I give, I gain. See, that's, that's how God works. You understand? That's how he worked on Good Friday and Easter morning. You understand this? Jesus gave all. And what happened to him? In his humility, he was exalted. He was raised on Sunday morning. This is the way. In order to be exalted, one must be humbled. In order to lead, one must serve. In order to be great, one must be willing to give. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. That's following Christ. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. 
I need it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. And what does God say? He's going to suffer wanting probably more. You give, you grow. You withhold, you go. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Do you think it's interesting that he doesn't say who gives it away? Even someone who is doing a job for someone, who's willing to work hard to receive wages for a service, is doing charity. If it's done in honesty. That's really interesting. Okay, the humility of realizing your money, your riches, your rewards, the humility of realizing that they're all a gift from above, that they don't belong to you, that you got them even though you didn't deserve them. They came from your heavenly Father. If you humbly realize that, you're ready to to give, to let it go. In one hand and out the other, right? Not willing to hold and 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 to hoard, to let go of your money for the sake of mimicking God's generosity towards you is a great act of fearing the Lord. Mimicking God and his generosity is a great act of showing him reverence and all. Now, okay, I've gone too far, too long, but I want to say this because this is something that we this is another good of wealth and riches that we have horribly misunderstood. And that's inheritance. Inheritance. A good man, I'm quoting scripture here, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I didn't write that proverb, but it's a proverb. I'll have to find it. A good this is the proverb. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. On its face, what does that mean? Well, we think about inheritance. We think of the, you know, the uber rich who leave their trust fund babies with millions of dollars and then they just ruin them and spoil them. It's a buildup of riches and wealth that can be handed down to children and, and so uh, and it be so solid that even the grandchildren can live on it. But that's not what biblical inheritance is. If you just looked at it from the worldly perspective, we would think we're just handicapping our kids when we give them inheritance. We assume nowadays that an inheritance is to take out all difficulty in our kids or our grandkids. But when you do that, when you seek to give an inheritance to your children or grandchildren so that you can take out all difficulty of living, you remove their opportunity for wisdom, hard work, and charity. You rob them. When you give a child an inheritance that is to set them for life so that they don't have any difficulty, you rob them of their potential being rewarded by God through humility and fear of the Lord. So, what is a biblical inheritance? 
A biblical inheritance is an inheritance your children, to your children and grandchildren to assist in their life of living, seeking out wisdom, hard work, and charity. Your help, you're, you're giving them that push, not to life without difficulty, but to know how to live life with difficulty. You've given them the leg up on that. So how does that begin? A biblical inheritance starts with not passing down riches, but with passing down Jesus Christ. A biblical inheritance only goes so far as that you raise your kids and grandkids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that they understand what godly wisdom is. They know what hard work accomplishes, and they know what it looks like to receive from God and then give to others. Right? So as you live your lives, and it's never too late to start, as you live your lives humbling yourself, fearing God, and the Lord rewards you, start thinking about how you can help your next generation and even the next generation. How you can help begin their lives as people seeking humility and to fear the Lord. You give them a spiritual foundation to live but then you also can give them a sort of physical foundation to begin to build and live. You must do both. So summing up, and we're closing. Money is like fire. It does good for us, but it can also hurt us. God does not think money, wealth, and riches are evil. Third, God rewards the humble and, and godly with riches. Four, Therefore, don't judge your brothers and sisters in Christ, whom God may have rewarded, for you in doing might be acting in ignorance or in your own fondness for money. Seek holiness over riches. Seek Christ-likeness over riches. And then, there's a bad analogy, and then let the chips fall where they may. Jesus said it a lot better, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So in so doing, be obedient to God's will by prayerfully seeking wisdom in his word, giving yourself over to hard work, no matter what your vocation, stay-at-home mom, retiree, you've got something to work on. You've got heart, you've got your body and energy and effort to expend. And when you are awarded... Give generously. Pass down to your children what you have received as an inheritance, remembering first to pass down the truth of Christ, the gospel, and all of his words. And now I just – I want to say this. I'm going to ignore what I've written, and I'll just say this, and it will be an offshoot into what we're going to talk about next week. Our verse says, keep your life free from the love of money. And then it says, be content in your current situation. So it's time to start evaluating your current situation. Not what's around you, but your contentment in what's around you. Your satisfaction in what's around you. Read Philippians 4 this week. But then also understand that he says after that, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's where true contentment comes from. Trusting and believing that God will never leave you nor forsake you, whether it's times of plenty 
or times of nothing. You can find contentment and satisfaction in knowing that God never changes. And He keeps His promises. That's the only way to keep your life free from the love of money. Is to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's it. You try to do it without Christ... You're still, you're still just chasing after the world, just in a different way. So today you must come to Christ. You must find satisfaction in Him. You must find freedom and deliverance of your sin. You must repent of your love of money, your dissatisfaction with your possessions and the world around you, and find infinite wealth and treasure in a crucified and risen Christ. You must trust in Him. You must trust and believe in Him. Let's pray. Father, would You teach us? Give us wisdom. Help us to give of ourselves to our work that You've called us to. And help us to see that anything that we have is not really ours, but just a gift from you. And then let us gift others. Help us to understand our hearts and our current situations this week and bring us together next week, Lord willing, that we might see what it means to be content in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.